is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Go white people. Go white people. Go white people. What up, son? I've been gone for so long. White people get me hype. Let Your Voice Be Heard radio all day oh by my ourselves. Goodness. The heads will roll. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. WHCR, the voice of Harlem. After months of lying, Marilyn finally returned my not-so-respectable Negro t-shirt. As you see, I am wearing very happily. Yes, she has, she has been lying about having this for like really? the last... She's, I don't have it, babe. And then yesterday she came over, she goes, looking for this. <laughs> she, I may, have, I may have worn it a couple of times. Aww. She has the hoodie, too. And she got into an argument with some hotep guys because Stop. they were like, my sister... Black queen, why you wearing a shirt saying you are not a respectable Negro? And you know Marilyn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she, no. Did she explain to them calmly what that meant? I don't know what calmly means for Marilyn, but oh, no, no. there's a lot of N's and F words in there. Uh-oh. But All right, guys. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCL, the voice There's of Harlem. Over Harlem. Yeah. Welcome. So what is wrong with you, Samina? To our show, guys. Stanley is so excited to be back. Yo, Has I it really been one am. week or two yes. weeks? Yes. At this time last week, I was somewhere in... Coney Island on my bike. Oh, wow. Pedaling, yeah. You were doing the bike tour. I did 100 miles last week. Wow, okay, yeah. show off. And my bike sounds is like it's hard. in shambles. Broken axle, broken spoke, broken bricks. <laughs> I got a ticket to get fixed. Did you the, get in an accident? No, but the terrain is so crazy. There was like parts where it was flat. There were parts where it was bumpy. I was going up hills. We were by the beach. I went. I did Harlem, Prospect Park, Coney Island, Reese Beach, Brighton Beach, um, East New York, South Jamaica Bay, Jamaica Estates. Um, Bedside, Canarsie, Astoria, back to Harlem, Bronx, and then. Um, and how long did it take you to travel through New York City? Seven hours. Wow. Yeah, I was way off at the time. I thought I'd be done by like twelve thirty, uh-huh. and I could like rush here and sneak in the last like ten minutes of the show. I was not even in Queens yet. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Stanley, what an adventure! All right, guys, so we're back and let your voice be heard. My name is Selena Hill. On Instagram and Twitter, it's Miss Selena Hill, and I spell that with an MS. And mm-hmm. on Snapchat, it's S.Hill2020. Don't ask me what the numbers stand for. What? Why did Someone asked me what the numbers stand for. Why did you even mention it then? Because remember that one week you were like, what do the numbers stand for? I asked you that. No one else did. <laughs> well, I don't No one else did that. Selena is paranoid that 2020 stands for the year she plans to kill me <laughs> or fire me from the show. Whichever comes first. 20, exactly. Oh, and by the way, when I was done with that bike tour, I made a big mistake. I ran home, showered, grabbed my bags, and traveled to D.C. for work. Do not sit on a four-hour train ride with your legs cramped after doing 100 miles on the bike. My legs are still sore. (laughs) That does not sound like it was comfortable. It, It wasn't super uncomfortable. But it wasn't, like, the most, like, I, sh- I should have had time to stretch my legs and walk around a little bit. <laughs> you think? But my hotel room was topping. I had a kitchen in my hotel room. Oh, okay. What did you say? At the Marriott? Um, No, not even, like, some random place. I forgot the name of the place. I don't want to give them free advertisement, so I won't mention them anyway. Okay. Even but though yeah. you can't remember. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll show you the pictures when we go on break. Nice. I'm glad you had a fun time. Yes. We had a fun time without you, but we are very happy you're back, okay? I, will, I can admit. Selena, it's just me and you in the studio. You know, everyone no, left we... because you were such a bad man. <laughs> no, that's, that's not true. Stanley, did you give us your uh, Instagram, Facebook? Did you give us any info? They know me. They miss me. All right, guys. In case you forgot all of that stuff, my Instagram is at darkskinswindle. It is a private account, so if you request me and you don't look creepy or like my <laughs> boss, I will accept you. And on Twitter, you can find me at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on there for free for now. <laughs> and on Facebook, I will not tell you my information because my boss found me on there, which is making me consider changing my name back to Chet. Oh, so yeah, this- Chet Fritz. <laughs> yeah. We remember that. Yes. Um, guys, FYI, so Alyssa Fuchs, she's not here today. And Jackie Cole and Jason, they're not here 
either. Everyone's off except for Stanley and I, but it's all good. We're going to hold it down, and we have a great discussion. We're going to start off with talking about I stand with Ahmed Muhammad. And what was all of that? You said the perfect <laughs> Ahmed. Who taught you that? Don't, I can, you got a little Eastern Bay? It's easy for me to say Arabic names rather than any other English. That is a lie. Any we have had plenty of Arabic. No, English names are much harder for me. And you're like, Sayon Saeed. <laughs> That was at one time. But anyway, anyway, guys, so we're going to start off the show talking about, again, Ahmed Mohammed, who was the young 14-year-old student who was arrested for mm-hmm. making a clock. And I just want to say I watched Bill Maher's commentary about it, and I was yelling Save at my— for the news Okay, I'm just going to say I was yelling. No, it's not the news roundup. I'm going to talk about it during my segment, and I was yelling at my computer. I will give you all the details about what this progressive man— Said and okay. in his defense, she yells at her computer all the time because no. <laughs> that's just the way she talks. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Stanley, what are you going to be talking about? So for the second segment, we are covering the Great Recovery, one that actually has not happened. So as you guys know, when President Obama was president, which he still is, at the peak of it in 2012, and the, the economy, um, the, the unemployment rate had hit a high of I think 10 percent. It is now at 5.1, which is amazing. But there's a report that just came out that has shown that this recovery has not really helped too many people. We would talk about that, how healthcare has affected that, and why these things have happened. Yes, yes, yes. And then last but not least, we're going to do the Dreamer and Doer series again. That's an original series here at Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we spotlight a millennial who is doing inspirational things, not only in their life, but helping and bettering the people in their lives and their communities and just making a greater impact in our world. And we have a very, very special guest who will be coming in studio with us, who I will introduce in depth, who happens to also be um, be someone who graduated at the same college that Stanley and I went to. So shout out to SUNY Westbury in Long Island. Um, it's, it's nice to see our fellow alum doing big things. Seriously, we have so many people who went to Westbury who yep. are doing things with their lives. Yep. And I remember so many of them just being drunk with me on campus. <laughs> and I thought, we are not going <laughs> to do anything. And now look, you proved yourself wrong. I guess you had low expectations for you and your friends. Well, and now look. myself because, you know, obviously. <laughs> obviously, right, yeah, guys? Like half the basketball team, they are now police officers. Yes. Congrats which, which scares me because <laughs> I was the RA for that basketball team. And uh-huh. I remember like they would just come out the bathroom and drop their towels and walk up to you like, hey, you comfortable? <laughs> hold on, hold on. To you or like? Yes, the other band. It was weird. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it was a lot of. Don't say names. Somewhere. A lot of eroticism going on. <laughs> I remember that. I remember one time they were all in the room playing True for Dare and they kissed each other. Stop. I'm serious. <laughs> It was weird. Wow. Uh, all right. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break. But again, guys, if you want to chime in, you can always call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at Be Heard underscore radio. We'll be right back. 我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来了。我们回来
Oh my god, do you, do you guys feel that song? Just as, ever since I've seen the weekend perform live, I've been a fan. But the bass on this though, I'm, I'm a fan. The bass. I wish I had a car that I could ride through the street and play at ignorant levels every time the song comes on. <laughs> and it pulled over by the cops, right? Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, that's what would happen. They probably shoot me in the face, being black, and also having a gun, which is actually my pen. Right. Um. All right, guys. So we're back, and I'm glad Stanley brought up racial profiling. Right. My name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz, and the studio's pretty much empty. But we're having so much fun, it doesn't feel like Guess that. Guess who's in here with us, guys? Nobody. <laughs> it's all good, but we have you guys listening. It's a happy Sunday morning. It's all good. Um, so let's start off the conversation talking about Ahmed Muhammad again. He what? <laughs> what? Stanley, can I say things properly for once? You don't usually. You say ask. <laughs> you say Pacifics. So you need to, all right. You're not going to blow me up right now. Okay? I don't have to. You're on the radio every week. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's silence his mic so we can continue and get to our very special guest. Mic silence. Who is on the line, okay? So, this 14-year-old Muslim student, he's brilliant. He's genius. He's a freshman in a Texas high school. And this past week, well, last week, he decided to create a, build a clock to impress his teachers. And because, you know, he's just that talented. So, he goes and says, you know, he shows a couple teachers. He gets some, some accolades. Some people, you know, definitely commended him. But one teacher in particular found the clock very alarming and thought it could be a bomb, right? Again, his name is Ahmed Muhammad, and he's brown. And, you know, there's this, this little thing called Islamophobia in our country, right? So the teacher calls authorities. He's led out in handcuffs. Mind you, he had on a Nassau T-shirt. So And he had glasses on. He's like this fragile 14-year-old kid. He looks so sad. No, that, <laughs> he, no he really did. I felt like did. horrible for him. I really did too. And so so he's let out in handcuffs. He's interro- interrogated. And he asked to speak to um, his parents. But the, the authorities were like, you cannot speak to your parents. We're inter- interrogating you because this could be a bomb. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, no, it's a clock. Isn't it legal to interrogate a child without their parents or a lawyer present? I'm, I'm not 100%. Laws don't exist in Texas. Right. So. So, so that's what happened and then he was suspended from school and you he was you know he was really upset and he was like I've never thought I would be arrested before or or handcuffed especially not for doing something that I thought uh, was good and I'm just showing you know expressing myself showing my talent so after this happened, social media kicked in. And people were like, don't worry, Ahmed, we stand with you. And they started using the hashtag, I stand with Ahmed. And people started tweeting and posting on Facebook and saying, this is just another example of racial profiling. If this was a white kid, he would have gotten the he would have gotten a prize at the science fair. He would have gotten, every, you know, what you're supposed to give a child who shows interest in science and builds things. But no, because he's Muslim um, and he lives in Texas... He happened to be let out in handcuffs. And it was really, really sad. And um, it was just, to me, an example of what goes on in our country all the time to black and brown people, to Muslims, especially in light of 9-11. And one thing that I mentioned before we went on break that really, really bothered me um, is is the reaction from people like Bill Maher, who is a card-carrying progressive, supposedly, who justified this, right? He talked about—he was like, well, basically— 
If you look at it, how many Muslims have been blowing things up around the world for the last 30 years? The teachers were just acting on the side of caution. That's all it was. And he argued down. Um, so he, he, he talked about it on his talk show. And the one opponent opponent that actually was like, you know, I don't think that we should attribute what's been going on with ISIS and what's been going on in other parts of the world to this 14-year-old kid. And Bill Maher was just like, well, it is what it is. And justified it. So... We'll talk more about that, um, and we'll also be talking about the, the the reaction that a lot of people have been having. I know just recently there was this, uh, there was a, a Donald Trump. He held a town hall meeting, and this one supporter stood up and said, can we get rid, he used those words, can we get rid of Muslims? So there's just been so much talk and controversy around Ahmed Muhammad, around Islamophobia again, and it's just rehashing this ugly truth we have in our country when it comes to just hating and profiling and discriminating against Muslim Americans. Um, On that note, I would like to introduce Sarah Harvard, who is a Muslim American journalist who has been published in places like Slate, Salon, Vice, Chicago Tribune, the Huffington Post. The list goes on and on. But not only that, um, she also has been she also has interviewed Norm Kromsky and found herself in the middle of an FBI interrogation herself. She even traveled um, in, in times of crisis to places like um, Baltimore. So she's been on the grounds after the Freddie, uh, the Freddie Gray situation that happened there. And, she's, and she also writes about Islam. And she's very passionate about covering national security, foreign affairs. And she, um, has, she does a really good job at intersecting with culture and identity. And we're very happy to welcome you to the show this morning, Sarah. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, this is your second time to the show. Yeah, definitely. I had a great time the first time. So I'm Stanley didn't scare you away yet? <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's giving all the right answers because she knows that <laughs> I'm awesome and that you are moderate, Selena. Stop it. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. No, sir. we're really, really happy to have you on the show today. And, you know, I, I gave a, a little background about what's been going on. I put, I put it in context and how what happened to this little boy has just spiraled into, you know, the nation and national um, and, and it's all focusing on what's been going on. Can I correct you? Because he is a man, obviously. As a, a person of color, you'll become a full adult at the age of seven. You need to be clear about that. Um, well, you know what? Let me start off. Let me start off here with you, Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think? Do you think that the teacher simply just overreacted to Ahmed's clock? Or is this an example of religious profiling? And please tell me how we can be sure. Because, again, we have people on the left and the right saying, hey, it was just a little, she, you know, the, the teacher just got it wrong. It's okay. Mm-hmm. We, we, should t- we should take some precaution. So what is your reaction to that? Sarah? Do, do we still have Sarah on the line? Yeah. We, we may... Oh, okay, maybe her phone is acting up. So I will say this. Okay. If, if they were really worried that it was a clock, what they could have done is called the bomb squad in. They didn't do that. They didn't evacuate the school at all. They called the cops to have him arrested. If that's really a bomb... And they called the cops. You could have just, and it was really a bomb. You could have just triggered it right there. So that makes no sense. This was just like a case of stupidity and Islamophobia, to be quite honest. And then they knew it wasn't a bomb because he showed it to his um right a, previous his, teacher. His, a teacher. The teacher right. was like, "Oh, that's cool, but don't let anyone see that." And then the English teacher saw it, and she, he or she or she or he was like, "Well, that's a bomb, and I'm gonna call the principal on you." 
So I don't want to give Texas any benefit of the doubt. I think the stupidity, (laughs) well, I don't want to give that school any benefit of the doubt. I think the the stupidity, like, running through that district and that school was pretty aggressive and strong to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I think it was definitely very unnecessary. And I do think that it speaks to, again, the larger epidemic that we have here uh, in America ever since 9-11, where Muslims are constantly under surveillance, especially in New York City and in New Jersey. It wasn't, um, it, it was not too long ago where reports came out to talk about how um, we've been surveilling them in their um, in mosque and when they go to school, you know, simply because you have this a certain last name or you worship or, or you practice your religion in a certain way, you've been under surveillance. And we do have Sarah back on the line. I want to get your reaction. Again, was the teacher overreacting or is this an example of racial profiling and, oh, and ethnic profiling? And how can you tell? Okay. We we, we it might have lost. Like Sarah may have metro PCS. Oh no! So, <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> Sarah, um, you're breaking out. So if you oh can call, no. oh no! Oh, okay. You brought up again. Go ahead. Let's try this one more time. If not, we may have to have you call back in or try on a landline. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. Sorry. So go ahead and try to answer the question. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Sarah. So yeah, just do us a favor, and call, if you have a landline, call uh-huh. in on that. If not, just hang up and call back in. Okay. Okay. All right. right. Thank you. So while Sarah is calling back in, yeah, we'll just you know yeah. go ahead. No, I'll finish the conversation because let me tell you guys, if you didn't see that Bill Maher segment, I highly suggest that you Google it and watch it on YouTube like I did yesterday and make sure that you're ready to get revved up. So he's on the panel and he's talking about how, again, he's justifying um, Islamophobia and he's saying that if you look at the larger picture here, this is what ISIS is doing. They're recruiting these young boys. And he also said that it was um, it was just like, I think, 25 miles away where there was a terrorist attack. I don't know if you guys remember, but earlier this year, there was um, these um, Muslim these Muslim Americans who attacked a uh, a contest. They were drawing a they were drawing Muhammad. It was a drawing a Mah- Prophet Muhammad contest, and it was used to antagonize and to provoke because we all know how sacred the Prophet Muhammad is in Islam. But you know what? These people they were just like we're going to do this anyway, and then they tried to shoot it up. And then, you know, they, they ended up dying. So Bill Maher used that as justification to basically profile this 14-year-old boy. And I was just like, the two don't add up. I mean, my reaction was, okay, if you want to think of it like that, let's talk about Adam Lanza. Let's talk about James Holmes. Let's talk about all of these young white males who shoot up and kill people and commit these massacres all across our nation, all the time. Are they ever profiled? Or do we always say this is just an example of mental illness? That's what it is, right? That's what we look at it as. We always treat them as isolated incidents. Why don't we ever consider the fact that maybe these young boys, these young boys and girls who are being recruited by ISIS, how do you know they don't have a mental illness? How do you know they don't feel loved and secure and they're not using this as an outlet because of the own, their own oppression that they feel within their household and within society? Like, like, I don't understand. Like, I'm sitting there, I'm screaming at a Bill Maher. I, I was screaming that. Because you're racist. You don't understand the, the toil of the white man. All right? I don't. You don't. And you need to respect it, the Stanley. white man. The good white man has all these things going on. The black woman <laughs> wants equal rights. The black man wants equal rights. People want to have the chance to have diversity in the country. And all of a sudden, the white man goes from being the prom queen every year to has to be runner-up. That's why those things happen. And when you are a person of color, whether you're black or brown, Latino, African-American, or Middle Eastern or Arabic, whatever it is, it is your fault because you're not white. 
Right. You're just not white. Stanley's being funny, of course. But I think we have Sarah back on the line with us. Third time to try, maybe? Yes, that's hey. what we're praying for. And, can you uh, guys hear me? Yes, we can, Sarah. Oh, we- thank God. Okay. Um, yes. Basically, what I'm saying is racial profiling, ethnic profiling. The one thing that's really important to point out that I think a lot of Americans especially haven't is the fact that Ahmed Mohammed is actually a black. Uh, Muslim. He's not, he's Sudanese, and people like to also kind of wash away that fact, and I think it's really important to point that out, that not only Muslims are often often discriminated against in school by their own teachers, it's also black students. Um, and I also want to say it's clearly an act of uh, racial profile, because when a student has a bomb, when there's a bomb threat at school, you don't put it in a closet, you don't, you know, let students stay there, you evacuate the building a- as soon as possible. Um, but they didn't do that. They they took him to interrogation room in the building, asking him, you know, interrogating him. Which I also want to point out that this is not just about bigotry and racism in the United States. It's actually about our policies here. You know, people forget the fact that, well, I'm sure you guys mentioned it earlier, that Ahmed Mohammed was interrogated by five officers without his parents. Mm-hmm. That will never fly in terms of civil liberties for any other individual. And part of that is because our counterterrorism policies view Muslims as uh, unhuman or, or inhuman. Um, and that, that is a clear violation of civil liberties. And these are something that almost every Muslim family goes through when they are confront- confronted with government agencies. Um, like, for example, my friend Alex Bales, was, who is a single white gay man who loves Ann Coulter. Uh, and ever since he came from Oregon, he's never met a Muslim before until he met me. And I introduced him to all these mosques and these, uh, during Ramadan, invited him to a lot of potluck iftars, which is like the breaking of the fast. And the FBI came in without even giving any time or any acknowledgement to get a lawyer and interrogated him. And I felt the need to go into interrogation and talk to him about it. But I found out is that before I came in, the FBI was asking him, do you know Sarah Harvard? How do you know Sarah Harvard? And stuff like that. And, you know, this is, for me, it's kind of like we live in a state of paranoia in this country. Mm. The school, right after uh, Ahmed Mohammed got, you know, news, they sent a letter out encouraging their students to keep an eye on other students for suspicious activity. We're teaching our kids to not trust one another. We're teaching our kids to go ahead and rat other individuals out there. And that is totally insane. And one last point I want to make out is that I know Stanley and I have talked about this before, but one thing I want to point out is that um, President Obama, the way he kind of reached out to Ahmed, I'm great that he, I'm happy that he invited um, Ahmed to the White House. But if you notice his speech, he didn't even mention the Muslim faith at all. Cool clock, uh, Ahmed. Why don't you bring it over to the White House? We need to encourage more kids in science like you. He doesn't talk about the fact of bigotry or racial profiling or Islamophobia. He's talked about the technophobia, the fact that she encouraged science, which is great, but you're missing the underlying point here. And part of my belief is that President Obama, uh, during his presidency, has, inter- has either renewed, introduced new proposals and, and policies that were extremely detrimental to the Muslim American community. Um, and this is a clear, I guess, um, pathway, like, uh, that situation is a clear uh, representation of that. Right, right. Sarah, again, thank you so much for just, um, you know, just shedding some light on what's going on here because, again, it does affect, it, it does 
point back to our own policies and and what and, and it's, it's it's attributed to that as well but we do have to go on a break when we come back i understand we have callers on the line who would like to let their voice be heard we'll continue the conversation with sarah harvard and we'll continue talking about i stand with the men OMG. Yes, Stanley. That's okay. I'm going to have to give credit where credit is due. Stanley got the new Prince album. If you guys have not heard it, that was just one of the songs off the new album. Prince is back. And that was amazing. All right, guys. But we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm in studio with Stanley Fritz on the PC ones and twos. We have Sarah Harvard on the line. She is a Muslim American woman and journalist who does phenomenal work when it comes to writing and speaking out about different issues. One of them happens to be Islamophobia. And we're having a great conversation about, uh, again, I stand with Ahmed. Uh, he was a young boy who was arrested for building a clock. Um, do we still have the call on the line? Okay, so we have Phil on the line who would like to let his voice be heard. Philip, please turn your radio off. Oh, You're yes. Right here. Okay, the floor is yours, Philip. You're right here. Yes. Did you have a question or comment? No, yeah. You know what? You know, sometimes we, maybe we can lighten up a little bit. You know, you know I, I respect all faiths, and, you know, Islamophobia is, is really a, a, a bunch of baloney. But you know what? Here it is. There's the. You ever heard of, of the stowaway cat? The stowaway, the stowaway cat? Yeah, the stowaway cat. Okay. You get, I only got 35 seconds, right? Okay. Yes. The, the, the stowaway cat, right? Um, he's stowaway. He's, he's, um, he's reincarnated. The stowaway cat. He gets on the airplane. Stowaway. And he tip, 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 tips it over into Tel Aviv. Israel. So, Philip, because no, 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 because no, no, we're running out of time, can you can you wrap up the comment? This is humor. This is humor. I'm, I'm sure, but can you just speed it up for us? Yeah. Okay. 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 So now, okay. So the story cat he tipped to, um, he gets off off the airplane. He, he sees it gets off in Tel Aviv. He goes sees a house, an, a dark house. He creeps in the, in, in, the, in the gap in the window, and you know how cats are. They they tail on the floors. And the light switch um, goes off, and he sees uh, 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 three bodies humping underneath the sheets. And when <laughs> All right, he, so yeah, Philip, no, no, thank you so he, much for calling I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Philip, but you lost me. <laughs> but the first thing that came out of your mouth is that Islamophobia is baloney. And I want to let... I want to talk about these cats humping under the sheets. No, we're not going to talk about that, because I don't know. I, I got lost. But he did say Islamophobia is baloney. And, you know, I have Sarah, Sarah Harvard on the line with us. Sarah, what do you say to people who say, you know what, Islamophobia is not a real thing. Um, I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't think that the Islamic community is being oppressed. How do you respond to that? Okay, well, and honestly, like, part of this ignorance, and I, like, I am kind of so sick and tired of dealing with ignorance every day. Um, but the thing is, a lot of people say they don't see it happening because they're not part of that community. You know, I am not, uh, I'm not black. Okay, so I don't really know what's going on every single day discussions in the black community. But I think it's my moral duty as a citizen, as a human being, as someone who's sympathetic towards civil rights and justice to, you know, constantly be educated and seek out knowledge in it. So whenever I hear Islamophobia is baloney or people who, who 
say insane remarks about Islam. Like, I actually have no respect for them because Islam has been a topic of discussion since the 70s, before even the Gulf War. And it's now 2015. You had so many years to go ahead and learn about Islam, Google it, try to find information on it. Instead, you don't. Instead, you try to keep your ignorant views. You have no desire to find the truth yourself. We're just waiting for people to feed information to you. So really, when people say that, it's more a reflection of themselves mm-hmm. more than anything else. And sorry, I'm, I actually, instead of feeling really angry, I feel sorry for them. Right, right, right. Well said, Sarah. Um, again, guys, if you want to let your voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. We're talking about Islamophobia in light of Ahmed Mohammed, the 14-year-old boy who built a clock and who was then arrested. And this has sparked so much controversy and so many comments. Um, I understand we have another caller on the line who would like to let his voice be heard we have michael michael explain the humping cats stop it <laughs> i i don't know anything about the humping cats <laughs> <laughs> we don't we didn't expect um, you to but interesting thing is i witnessed islamophobia firsthand growing up uh, my i was raised by my father who is actually palestinian born jordanian raised um he's the only real father figure i knew he raised me to be very patriotic um was in full support when I joined the U.S. military. But the thing is, he's gotten so much uh, BS for the fact that he's Arab, he's dark, and it's very real. Like, I mean, I think that very few people understand it until they experience the stuff firsthand. Um, the other thing is, as much as I love Bill Maher and some things he says, but it's always been clear that he has always had a bias towards Islam. And it's just idiotic that he can't really see it as Islam, Islamophobia as real as uh, racism and um, pretty much stereotyping against a black person being a criminal. But so it's idiotic. It's it very hard to... Um, and as a veteran, it's very hard for me to see this because this is not uh, the ideals that I fought for. Right. No, you're right. It's un-American. It's undemocratic. It It doesn't represent the larger good and betterment of our country. Our country was built on immigrants and, and diversity, and it's this big melting pot. But when we don't accept other religions and other ethnicities, and when we dismiss it and say something that is very real for so many people who practice Muslim, uh, people of Muslim faith, when we say that that's not real, that oppression, it's not real when you, you know, you can't get a cab or you're being your mosque is being uh, surveilled or you're under segregation for no apparent reason. Like Sarah Harvard, our guest, you know, you can't be that dismissive. Yeah. People say Islamophobia, Islamophobia is unreal. I remember right after 9-11 where the deli by my house in um, Brownsville, a bunch of people in the neighborhood came and and ripped it apart and beat up the people in the deli and tried to burn it down. Do you know why? Because they were like, oh, you know Osama bin Laden, because they were from, from Pakistan. Mm, right. It, like it's just ignorance. And that's ignorance on top of ignorance right there. Islamophobia is a very real thing. It is a very real thing. And Sarah, I know that you mentioned that your family was under a surveillance or, or being interrogated and you've actually been targeted by the FBI. Is that what you were telling us? Yeah, so here's a quick story. So my, uh, so right after 9 actually, first I want to say thank you to Michael for his service. Um, and I think a lot of people forget the fact there's a lot of Muslim Americans, Arab Americans, serving in the military. And I think they do a phenomenal job and are doing, they're actually probably the one of the most, uh, I don't know, I, I just feel for them. Because you live 
you're fighting against a, um, a lot of times people see, like, your home country, your motherland, or people of your faith, yet you're constantly discriminated against by your policies and probably by the military themselves. And I just want to point that out there. And also being Palestinian-Americans a lot harder, too, in this country because a lot of Americans don't see Palestinians have a, that have a right to exist in their own state or even have a right to exist in general. So I just want to point that out. But speaking of my situation, um, right after 9-11, my community, uh, I, lived, I lived in Schaumburg, Illinois, but we have uh, a couple of hours away. My dad had a, has a gym in a town called Bridgeview, which is heavily dominated, actually a heavily Palestinian-dominated uh, town. And I remember, you know, moths being vandalized, friends being beat up, you know, windows broken, things trying to, like, people were trying to set fires to moths in community centers. And my dad coaches MMA, and in his MMA gym, he found out, you know, years later, the FBI was putting the whole town under surveillance, the whole entire town. Not individual people, but the whole entire town. And imagine, you know, living in a, uh, you know, a suburban city in Mississippi or in uh, Virginia, and the whole town being under surveillance. That would be an outrage to many Americans. It was an outrage for many Americans where the whole bo- city of Boston was under, you know, uh, the, uh, cops watch and military, militarized cops watch. Well, we have this is a daily occurrence for us, and no one seems to care or is it ever in the media. Um, but the story is essentially that I actually had to change my last name. My whole family did mm-hmm. after threats of discrimination and hate crimes from my family members. But the FBI interrogation is a totally different case, and it shows you how to the extent of how parano- par- paranoid our government is right. and how Islamophobia has totally uh, you know, taken over this country. Basically, the reason why I was inter- uh, in the middle of the interrogation my friend was actually the one who's being interrogated, who is, again, a non-Muslim and white, gay, and a Republican, uh, just in the Republican Party. He was in the middle of interrogation because he had a lot of interest in Islam and asked me to go ahead and introduce him to some, you know, books, uh, to events, to people. We went to the mosque together. And because of those reasons, they interrogated him. And some of the questions they asked him were ridiculous, like, do you speak Arabic? Mm. Or you're very critical of your foreign policy. Uh, don't you support America? Are you, are you considering, um, are you considering, uh, sorry, converting to Islam? Like these ridiculous questions that, like, for me, it's, that would never fly. Like, what if someone replaced all those words right. with Christianity? Like, that, that wouldn't fly, or, or Judaism, that wouldn't fly either. You're right. Um, and speaking, sorry, I just want to speak quickly about Bill Maher. Yes. He talks about how ISIS is always, you know, it's, 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 it makes sense or it's justifiable, which is ridiculous because, number one, cases where t- terrorism has been thwarted is because the Muslim community themselves have turned things in. You know, mm-hmm. all the time, Muslim... Like, if you ever see a terrorism... Po- uh, also, if you ever see a terrorism plot foil, it's because there was an FBI sting operation. Right. Which means that the FBI, you know, set it up and try to recruit people to make it a, sort of a terrorism attempt and then go ahead and, like, hijack it later, which is totally ridiculous it's because it's like you're creating terrorism in itself. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Sarah. And I was just thinking that when we have, when we're hostile towards the Muslim community, it makes them, it makes it harder for these Americans to sort of, you know, help the FBI out and, and work with officials when it comes to foiling these plots. So it's just doing, and it's just harming the situation even more because, you know, you're, they're Americans. We're all Americans. They just happen to worship at this temple or happen to call themselves Muslims and they're being treated like this for no reason. And I thought it was very interesting, Sarah, that you said that you had to change your name to a more white-sounding name. Well, you didn't say that. I'm saying it. It's <laughs> that you changed your last name to a white-sounding name just to 
prevent and to avert some of that integration and, and, and oppression that you've been dealing with. I mean, the, the extent that you have to go through and your family and so many other Muslim Americans, it's just ridiculous just to be treated like an American. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, another thing that I wanted to bring up is the fact that, you know, some of our callers and a lot of other people who are dismissive towards Islamophobia and act like it's not a real thing, but they would be so quick to call out and point out racism. Some people like Belmar people and other people. And the thing is, they're, they're interconnected. I see a direct connection. If we can recall over the summer when we had a 14-year-old African-American girl who was tackled down in a bikini and then kneed by a white cop. Look how she was treated by this white cop. And then when we look at this 14-year-old boy who builds a clock and how he's treated also by these white officials. And he even said that when he walked into the room, one of the officers made a comment to allude to, 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 to basically incite and, and to say that, oh, I knew that this was the person that we that we were going to have to bring in basically saying that you know look he's brown he's muslim of course this would happen so i want to say do you see any connection when it comes to you know racism um and and, and just this type of oppression that goes on in, uh, in black and brown communities across the spectrum yeah, I see it all the time. Um, and it, what I find really funny, though, is that, and I don't mean to call out or put down any other community, but we have Ben Carson here, who is a black Republican running for president. And, the black community um, let him go about four years ago. <laughs> yeah. He had to give in his black card. Yeah, uh, but just today uh, he told Chuck Todd that it would meet the press saying that he doesn't think there should be a Muslim president. He thinks Islam is inc- unconstitutional. And to see that as, like, insane, because 60 years ago, Ben Carson would have been a neurosurgeon. He would have been able to be on stage with all these competitors. In fact, probably some of the people he's on the stage with would probably be racist against him or, you know, and try to incite violence against people of his color. And it makes me, it disheartens me. I don't think, I want to play on the fact that I don't think, you know, the, the oppression and the state-sponsored violence that black communities go through it is the same as some of you. They're completely different experiences. They're not the same. Um, but the thing is, it's not new either. Islamophobia isn't a new phenomenon. It's been happening for years. In fact, I wouldn't even say, like, Orientalism, for example, has been long before any war uh, has happened. But um, it, and it's, like, I think, so here's a perfect example. I am of mixed race. I'm very, uh, you know, I am half Japanese as well. So uh, I'm ambiguous. I'm ambiguous looking when it comes to terms of, like, my, what my race actually is. And it's funny because I've interned for GOP candidates like Senator Rand Paul. I have met, I've interviewed Sarah Palin before, and I've met her and talked to her in person. She was so kind to me. I've talked to Rick Santorum. I've talked to, I've met Donald Trump. I've done all these things with these Republican candidates. Yet I get, they don't realize that they're talking to a Muslim individual. I could easily have a a clock, like a stopwatch or or a watch as a bomb. Or I could easily have a pen that could like strike them. But the things you don't see that. So for me, it's, it's a clear example of how it is about black and brown skin tone and skin color. And, you know, growing and and it's Islamophobia. Like growing up, though, and I mentioned how I'm multiracial, uh, my previous last name was Muslim sounding. So a lot of times I would get a lot of bigotry and discrimination. I'd have uh, people laugh along when kids call me terrorists. I would have a teacher in sixth grade who would be to sit all around in a circle talking about how. In the Quran, Muslim kids are taught to kill other non-Muslim kids. What? Um, so it's it's about it's Islamophobia. It's also a racial profile because you mm, can't. Right. Islam is a race. It's a, sorry, Islam is a faith. It's not a race. 
but yet somehow we always tie it to uh, brown communities. Right. And, um, and that's something that we need to really educate ourselves. And I find it so shameful that Islam has been a topic of discussion for so many decades, yet our community or our society can't even grasp the fact that sure. Islam is not equal to an Arab person. I know. Or a South Asian person. And we've had a Muslim president for seven years now. <laughs> and people still don't get it. And it's just so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Honestly, to be honest, it sounds awful, but... I'm not really comfortable yet with the Muslim president because so far what we've seen with Bashar al-Assad, Hosni Mubarak, Saudi Arabia, they've not been a good representation of having a Muslim leader. But if it's someone like me, per se, or Ahmed Mohammed, I'm totally in for it. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for calling in and joining our conversation here. Um, I want to ask before we let you go, really briefly, um, can you talk about what do you think is some of the solution? I mean... I always say that education is key to everything, and the more we know, you know, to combat that ignorance, we need to be enlightened. What do you say needs to be done moving forward to sort of stop or try to curb what's going on in the Muslim community? Yeah, you know, there's actually a couple of things I would say. Um, A lot of it, we we focus a lot on the non-Muslim community, which is important. You need to educate yourself and be open-minded. But a lot of it has to do within the Muslim community. A lot of us have internalized Islamophobia that we're afraid to speak up because we're, we're afraid of being, you know, taken away by the government. Or people like my family who internalized Islamophobia and still hide their faith, and we had to change our last name. Um, part of it is that the Muslim community always talk about having a seat on the table when it comes to discussion about terrorism policies or civil liberties. But when there's journalists like me and others who have the opportunity or given the opportunity to have their seat on the table, to air out grievances in the mainstream publication, there's a lack of support within the Muslim community. A lot of times I'm seeing a lot of Muslims supporting people, individuals who tokenize themselves, which I think is a really important discussion we have in 2016 elections in general is tokenism. We have people who want to be the first hijabi anchor or, or the first hijabi uh, editor, and that's, you know, that's great and all, but you're, they're not talking about the issues in a way it's about their self-importance, that we're not doing anything, we're not supporting the issues at hand. And the other thing that a Muslim community should really do is that they should stop apologizing for, you know, terrorism attacks that we mm. have no influence over. Every single time there's a terrorism attack, we constantly apologize for them, condemn them. But in a way, why should we? We have no influence over. They do not represent us. Mm. We, they don't believe, we don't believe in their beliefs. What we think, they won't, we don't think they're practicing Islam correctly. And that's not, that's not our community. Why should we apologize for that? And as long as they keep apologies condemning it, we're, we're giving them, we're giving, you know, Islamophobes and anti-Islam polemicists the opportunity to say, hey, look, there's the association between Islam and radical Islam. And we've got to, you know, completely take that out. So as long as you go ahead and apologize condemn for it, we're going to keep having to do that. And we need to stop. We need to step up, stomp our foot down and say that they do not represent us. We are victims just like you. Muslims are killed more than Americans are killed every single day by ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. But yet, because we are not saying those things in droves, uh, in droves, we're not, you know, the issue of Islamophobia is still uh, pretty present today. Sarah, you got to, like, do what white people do. White people actually do all these horrible things, and they'll still get mad when you ask them to be accountable for it. If, oh, if you accuse a white person of racial profiling or, you know, say the system is racist, they'll just say black-on-black crime. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you need to start doing. Whenever something happens and they try to point as a, the Muslim community, just shout mm-hmm. black-on-black crime or divert by talking about the deficit. That is mm-hmm. the way you stop Islamophobia. Um, Sarah, please tell our listeners how they can follow you and your readings. 
Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Sarah underscore Harvard. And Sarah is an H and Harvard at the college. Um, I usually post uh, a lot of updates on my website with my new articles. The website is sarahharvard.com. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty active on social media. And, and so, and I love communicating with people. So go ahead, feel free to tweet me as well. Thank you again, Sarah Harvard, for joining us here and having this discussion with us, guys. Just really briefly, um, I just want to say and, and, and touch upon that we America needs to wake up, right? We all need to wake up. And like Sarah said, if you are someone who does see Islamophobia, then we need to speak up, right? It's about waking up and speaking up. And if you have family members, friends, or you're walking in a bodega and you see somebody, you know, referencing the the cashier as the Taliban, which I've seen, I've mm-hmm. actually seen, like, you know, and just and just in using discriminatory, uh, stereotypical remarks and just saying things that aren't nice and aren't proper, we need, it's our job to say something because you know what? Especially if you're, or if you're Latino or if you're black, like I am, we're the first people that's like that's wrong and we need allies and you need to speak up well we all need to speak up well you know we're, we're in this thing together and i just think islamophobia is just another form of oppression just like racism okay and i see the same thing just like we just like when we have these conversations about latinos and immigration and we see these anti-immigrant comments sentiment in america it's the same thing and i'm you know i'm one of the first people to say that's wrong so i'll say it's wrong all over i don't think that we need to just just keep like a narrow perspective on things what's wrong is wrong and you have to believe people when they say i experienced this form of oppression don't deny it or dismiss it and on that note we do have to go on a break but when we come back we're going to be talking about some of our favorite news stories during the news roundup right here on let your voice be heard (laughs) 